0: This is Wealth Radio on News Radio, KLBJ, with author and wealth manager Chris Herline of Reap Financial, retirement, estate, asset protection, money,
1: money, money, money,
0: Chris is here to help answer your questions about living the life you want in retirement. Reach out now at 512-249-7300, 512-249-7300, or chris at wealthradio.com. That's chris at wealthradio.com. Now, here's Chris Herline. Money, 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 money.
2: Good day, everybody. Chris Herline here. Thanks for tuning in on our new hour here, 11 a.m., Every Saturday on News Radio KLBJ, excited to be with you and We've got Cheryl White joining us in studio as always. We've got a lot to cover, Cheryl. Where are we headed today?
3: We really do have a lot to go over. And Chris, the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 is now law, of course, and included in that legislation are changes to Medicare. And there may be even more changes impacting retirement if the Secure Act 2.0 passes later this year. A lot of people think that's going to happen. Changes to RMDs, to catch-up contributions, and more. Now, later in the program, we're gonna sift through that proposed Secure 2.0, but first up, what we know about Medicare and the Inflation Reduction Act. Chris, first of all, have you been getting a lot of questions about what's happening with Medicare Part D?
2: Believe it or not, I mean, the bill just passed recently, right, in the last few weeks. So I actually haven't been getting a lot of questions around what's happening with Medicare Part D, because most people, a lot of our listeners, They don't even know what's in the Ah. Inflation Reduction Act. And most of the stuff in this bill is not going to have a big impact on the current inflation that we're feeling, unfortunately. And where the current administration is saying, well, hey, it actually is going to help with cost and, and things like that today is there is some good news around Medicare Part D and and how this bill is written. And so all this to say the bill has got a lot of things in it. Around, you know, renewable energy and tax credits to go green and just a, a number of different things. But what they're saying is that with Medicare, that's one of the largest expenses retirees face. There's no doubt about it. It's Medicare can be very complicated and overwhelming people. And so I'm glad you're bringing this up today because there is some great things that are going to come out of this for retirees and particularly those on Medicare. And the biggest one for me. Was well, healthcare, as, as you know, is, is one of the largest expenses and as we're building a budget for families in retirement, that's the biggest variable. And so one of the things that I was encouraged to see is now starting in 2025, your out-of-pocket spending for Medicare, drugs that is, will be capped at $2,000. Now right now the way Medicare works, your Medicare D is you're covered up to a certain amount. And then once you hit a certain threshold, you're likely out of pocket for that. And and a lot of these medications can be very expensive. So the idea that effective 2025, they'll be capping Medicare D prescription drug costs for your out of pocket at $2,000. I mean, I know it's still $2,000, but see, these are things we can, we can build a budget around, right? We can, we can plan for that. There's also some things in there that if the, drug companies increase prescription costs more than inflationary rates that they'll have to rebate some of that cost not back to you the prescription drug taker back to actually medicare itself there's a lot of things in here that the drug companies i want to state the the statistic this year was they have spent more than a hundred million dollars trying to fight a lot of these things because the drug companies are going to have to spend more money and or they're not going to make as much money on prescription drugs because a lot of these things. But, But Cheryl, you and I both know those drug companies are going to be just fine. Yes, I, th- <laughs> I, think, I
3: think they'll be they, okay. I think they'll be good. What about Medicare Part D premium increases? Because that's mm-hmm. one thing a lot of people have talked about yeah. is like, ouch, when that happens, it can be taking a bite it can out of up the up lot, budget. go a I
2: know. Yeah. Well, you know, starting 2024, Medicare Part D plans won't be able to increase cost-wise by more than 6% a year. So I know again at 6%, it's still could add up, but at least there is a cap. And again, we can build a budget around there. And there's there's some other things that go into effect effective uh really twenty twenty three next year where they're gonna cap Insulin cost, things will be uh, capped at $35 a month for families monthly out-of-pocket. So if, if you're on insulin, that out of everything that we've read in the bill, that is one of the first things that go into effect, effective 2023. And then a lot of these other things we're talking about will roll out 24, 25, 26.
3: Now, tell me about budgeting, because you mentioned that a moment ago. If we know some of these things are going to be rolled out in place by a certain time, that really does help you when you're planning, doesn't it?
2: It really does, because the most important number in all of our retirement planning is your budget. We need to identify the number needed to maintain your standard of living your quality of living whatever you're setting out to do and when you think about insurance cost property taxes medicare part d prescription drug cost overall Medicare premiums, these are the variables that we don't have a lot of control over. So the idea that they're putting some caps on the increases, the out-of-pocket drug cost, that's a very positive sign when it comes to a lot of the planning that we do for successful families. And so we've got to ensure that over the next 20, 30 years, the amount that you've saved can sustain this lifestyle, even with increases and, and a lot of the record inflation we're seeing right now you know, all these things really do play hand in hand. So what we're talking about today, With the caps. In my opinion, this is one of the most positive things that we've seen in the retirement landscape in a long time.
3: And you know, we talk about that drug prices increasing, and and it may, for someone who is unaware, perhaps, of uh, insulin costs, let's just use that as an example. Because if you're covered by, say, an employer health insurance plan, if you don't look carefully at the little sheet that's attached to your prescriptions every month, you Mm -hmm. may not realize how much insulin actually costs. Uh, just using it as an example. And there was a study um, I saw, Chris, by Yale University, and it found that the cost of insulin has more than doubled in 10 years. So when you see those kinds of increases, it makes you realize when you're in retirement, that can matter a lot.
2: Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's that's what I mean. You've got to build in all of these increases as best we can. This is why the planning we do, it's, it's a living plan. It's updated every six to 12 months as inflation rates are changing, as, as cost of food and energy is changing, as your portfolio is doing different things uh, this year than it did last year. And, you know, to just one more point, I mean, we talk about it a lot on this program, but the amount of net worth that you've saved can often dictate how much you're gonna pay in Medicare premiums. And, you know, that's something that's gotta be watched very closely as well.
3: That's right. So as you plan, Chris, how do you sit down and talk with people about healthcare costs in retirement? How do you approach that? And Mm -hmm. what do people need to keep in mind when they decide to come and talk with you about retirement?
2: It's interesting how people are concerned about, you know, when to take social security, have I saved enough money to maintain my standard of living? How much can I spend in retirement? But I'm going to tell you one of the greatest concerns that particularly pre retirees have is what am I going to do for healthcare? care and what does Medicare cover? What does what it not cover? Can I still see my same doctors? Do I have to switch networks? You know, how much out of pocket am I going to be for prescription drugs? Do I do a Medicare Advantage? Do I do a Medicare Supplemental? Do I bid on Medicare C? When you start getting close to Medicare age, your mailbox is inundated. You could eat really good five nights a week at every <laughs> Medicare seminar, <laughs>
0: Right, you, <laughs> you know, so right.
2: and people know exactly what I'm talking about. But what happens is it creates this sense of complication and, and who do I trust and who do I listen to? And so when we start looking at health care planning, the first thing we want to do is look long term. Are you in a position where you're going to be able to self-insure for long term care, home health care, nursing home care and late life? A lot of successful families that have done a good job of savings, they may not need that coverage. And then let's look at what your income is going to look like from start of retirement throughout the end of life because as I mentioned earlier, your income greatly dictates how much you're going to have to pay in Medicare costs. We've got families that will pay hundreds of thousands of dollars more over their retirement for the same coverage that their neighbors getting in Medicare just because they've done a better job of saving or or have more income or larger pensions or real estate income. So we need to look at what the tax situation is, what your income situation is, to then identify the path that you're on and the obligation you're gonna have for out-of-pocket expenses.
3: Well, if you have questions about how all of this might impact your retirement, you can reach out to the team at REAP Financial right now and schedule a complimentary retirement analysis. Our number is 512-249-7300. It's 512-249-7300. On the way, whether it's Secure 2.0, the EARN Act, or the Rise and Shine Act, what could be ahead for our retirement savings? It's all coming up as Wealth yeah. Radio with your host Chris Herline continues right here on News Radio KLBJ. Tell me why.
0: 512 249 7300 is the number to reach Chris and the Wealth Radio team. That's 512 249 7300. Set up a time for your complimentary retirement and tax analysis. 512 249 7300 or take advantage of our free retirement resources at wealthradio.com. That's wealthradio.com. Now, now. back to Wealth Radio on News Radio, KLBJ.
2: Judy and the welcome back chris herline here this is wealth radio and again excited to announce our new hour here on klbj we've been with you for over a decade now but now in the 11 a.m hour and excited to have so many of you joining us and in in studio with me as always we've got cheryl white and kind of leading the direction of the conversation today and cheryl secure act 2.0 is you know it's on the horizon. And there's some good things and some not some good, so good <laughs> things in there. Right. I want to get into those today.
3: We do. Uh, why don't we start, though, Chris, with the SECURE Act, the original one. Mm-hmm. And it went into effect on January 1st of 2020. Yeah. And I thought we would cover the four major changes created by that law before we go into what could be ahead with the new one.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the biggest and probably the best thing that happened on SECURE Act was they moved up the age at which you have to take your required distribution. So for all of our listeners, if you got money in an IRA or 401k, when you turn 72 now in this country, you're forced to pull money out and that amount will be based on the size of the account, the value, and then also your age and when i say it's a good thing it's good news that the age got pushed up is a lot of the families we work with is we take a look at it through the tax lens right there their overall retirement planning and a lot of what we do is roth conversion work where we're taking money and moving it from traditional iras and tax deferred accounts into to tax-free accounts and so you know generally there's some timing around how much you want to do and and how quickly you want to do it and because the rmd age was moved up that bought many probably dozens and dozens of our families that we work with at Financial. It bought them a couple extra years which means we can do smaller conversions in many cases as we're spreading it out which means it's less of a tax bite and so we'll get also today as to where we think the required minimum distribution age is going to go but probably the best thing that came out of it first and foremost was that increase of two years on the RMD age? Now the second thing, Cheryl, was the idea is, I mean, and again, let me set this up. People are working longer as we're we're living longer. We have a generation of the baby boomer generation. A lot of people may be playing a little more catch up than normal. And what the government said is, hey, you can contribute to your retirement account, your traditional IRA, after the age of seventy and a half. So. Prior to this passage, if you were working, you could still contribute to like a 401 k, but you couldn't contribute outside of your employer plan to a retirement plan. So this law now allows you to, uh, to fund your IRA. And that could be a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA after age 70 and a half. And that's a big deal as you're looking to, again, maximize your savings walking into retirement.
3: Well, what about inherited retirement accounts?
2: Hmm. This is where it was not so good because what happened is they changed the law on how IRAs are left to your heirs. And for most people out there now that are inheriting an IRA from your grandparents or your parents, the law now states that you have to take the money out of this account within 10 years. Now, there are a few exceptions to that. If you're leaving money to minors, if you're leaving the money to a brother or sister within 10 years of your age, uh, there's a few variables in there. But for the majority of Americans out there, when you inherit an IRA or 401k from mom and dad, you're now forced to take that money out within 10 years. And so this can create a number of things. One, a substantial tax liability because the money coming out of these accounts if it's not a Roth IRA, which for most people it's it's not, it's going to be all taxable. And so you add that to your additional income, maybe you're working still or mom and dad leaves you this in your higher earning years, you need to have a plan on how to withdraw this money in the right form and fashion, the right timing, the right sequence so that you don't blow up your tax bill in the current year. That can impact your, your Medicare premiums. Before this, you used to be able to inherit it from mom and dad. And then the government made you take a small little required minimum distribution over your lifetime. It was called a stretch IRA, which was a wonderful gift because now we got really two generations being able to defer tax to a large extent. Mm -hmm. Well, now the government says, no, 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 no. Mom and dad was able to defer that money for 30, 40 years. And now you're inheriting it and we want our taxes. And so this can be a huge, huge change in the type of estate planning that somebody may want to be looking at. If legacy is important to you, our listeners here on Wealth Radio, and you are inadvertently going to be leaving IRAs and 401ks to kids, or you're planning on it, you've got this number you want to leave, there are some moves. There are some things that can be done to ensure that this money is left in a much more tax efficient way than just holding it in traditional accounts. Now, when it comes to kind of a fourth thing that came out of this, I want to be clear. When you leave traditional IRAs and 401ks, that money has to be taken over 10 years. But see, some of the strategy I'm talking about for you out there is if you do some work to get those IRAs, 401ks converted to a Roth IRA, those dollars, now when they're left to the heirs, they'll still be subject to the 10 year rule. However, when the kids take it out over 10 years, Well, it comes out 100% tax-free, so there could be some strategy for those of you that have a trust, a living trust or a revocable trust to maybe put it in there that, hey, the kids can touch other assets along the years and let that Roth IRA that doesn't have to be taken out. But until 10 years, we have families that will say, hey, that money can't be touched. They want the compounding effect to happen on that account. And then year 10, they take the lump sum at that time, and you've had that power of compounding through the years. It doesn't mean you're not leaving assets to them that they can't access right away, but it's being strategic in your estate planning and your investment planning as to how and when you want to leave those Roth IRA assets. So again, this has really changed the game and flipped some of the the planning upside down when it comes to legacy and estate. That's a lot of what we do in our office, Cheryl.
3: Well, then that brings us to Secure 2.0 because Mm -hmm. that builds upon the original that we just talked about. And at this point, Secure 2.0 has passed the House. The Senate is working on two separate pieces of legislation that should, if everything goes smoothly, be condensed into one package and then reconciled with the House bill. And we are talking about this today, basically, because there's such an effort to pass this before the end of the year in yeah. some form or fashion. Yeah. And really, it's about retirement.
2: It is. And let me tell you, there's, again, some good things in this that we're seeing and then some, some not so good. And let me hit the top three that I see remember when the secure act passed in 2019 that pushed the rmd age out to 72. under secure act 2.0 they're saying hey it could potentially be pushed out to age 75 which is again phenomenal news because it would buy you more time before you have a required minimum distribution and more time to potentially rebalance reshuffle some assets over to roth ira again buying us more time to do some tax planning. The second thing that we need to watch for is based on how it's written, it states that higher earners in this country would no longer be able to do a backdoor Roth conversion. And that's where for families that are working, if you make over a certain amount of money, the government won't let you put money into a Roth IRA. But under today's law currently, you can put money in a traditional IRA and convert it to a Roth IRA in the same year. It's called a backdoor conversion. Now, you need to meet with a CPA or a fiduciary advisor before you do that because there can be some pro-rata tax rules and implications around it. But that would be a big one taken off the table that's been available for a lot of our high earners for years. The third one that I'm watching very close is if it's passed in the way it's written, they would eliminate Roth conversion altogether. Over a 10-year period is how it's written, so it wouldn't go in effect overnight, but how it's written now is for high earners out there, effective 10 years from now or the date of the passage, obviously, Roth conversions would go away for higher earners. I want to be clear, not everybody, but for higher earners. And a lot of the families we serve at REAP Financial, they would be greatly impacted by this. And so if this were to pass in this form or fashion, it's going to mean that we've got to sit down with dozens of families that we've designed Roth conversions plans for and accelerate quite possibly their conversion work before that 10-year rule completely goes into effect. So those are three big ones. Now, there's a lot of them that we're keeping an eye on, but those are the three big ones for our planners out there that you need to be aware of, we'll keep you apprised on here on wealth radio and then as things come to passage we'll let you know how they iron out
3: Absolutely. You know, we pack a lot into an hour here on Wealth Radio. And if you have a question about a topic we've discussed or something that you would like for Chris to tackle on an upcoming show, hey, be sure to let us know. Go to wealthradio.com and click on the microphone button to send us your question. Easy to do. Get straight to Chris. On the way, Chris continues to break down the proposed legislation and what it means to us in our retirement. As Wealth Radio with your host Chris Herline continues here on News Radio KLBJ.
0: Sure, to catch Chris during the 6 p.m. News Hour every Monday and Wednesday on KXAN Channel 36, right here in Austin, and set up a retirement and tax analysis with Chris and the team at Reap Financial now at 512 249 7300. We'll be right back on Wealth Radio on News Radio KLPJ. Stay connected to Wealth Radio during the week at wealthradio.com.com.
2: Wealth Welcome back. This is Chris Herline alongside Cheryl White in studio with you every Saturday 11 a.m. in our new hour here on News Radio KLBJ. I want to encourage you to tune into past week shows at wealthradio.com. You can submit your questions there on the microphone button in real time. We'll be sure to get those or get to those, I should say, in upcoming week shows. Now we've covered a lot today, Cheryl. One thing I wanted to hit on is in this Secure Act 2.0 that we've been talking about. You know, I mentioned that they're considering delaying that required distribution again, right?
3: Right, to what, 75 if this passes?
2: That's right. Right now, as we're talking, it's 72, which is great. And I wanna clarify that if it passes in the current form, it's not gonna go 72 to 75 overnight, unfortunately. But what they'll do is they'll increase it incrementally. So they take it as it's written to, to 73 starting January 2023, 74 in 2030, and then would rise to 75 January 1st of 2033. So this is how the government does it, even with the Inflation Reduction Act that we were talking about in the beginning of our show, they, they don't typically pass something and everything just goes into effect. But these are things that will be beneficial to our planning. And you know, when it comes to required minimum distribution, Cheryl, This is why I tell a lot of families, when you retire, in some cases, your taxes, your tax planning gets a lot more complicated because you don't just have a W-2 paycheck anymore. A lot of times, you don't have the deductions you once had because your house is paid off, kids are off payroll. A lot of times you're going to have to choose what money you're going to live on. It's going to be my 401 k my IRA, my cash at the bank, my Roth IRA. All this money is taxed differently. Capital gains. Am I living on ordinary dividends, qualified dividends? And then you got the government knocking on your door at 72, making you take these required minimum distributions. And if you don't do this correctly, it can actually hit you with the largest penalty in the tax code. And that is if you don't take the correct amount each year based on your age and the account value, you can be hit with up to a 50% excise tax. So if you shortchanged your RMD by $30,000, your penalty on top of what you're going to have to take out is would be $15,000. So you don't want to play around <laughs> with this. Yeah. You want to make sure that your CPA, that your financial advisor are cooking in the same kitchen. They're working together throughout the year on buying and selling and also administering the RMD come into year. Now
3: under Secure 2.0, would the excise tax be reduced if you fail to take your full RMD?
2: Well, I guess you could look at that as a pro. They're saying if it passes in the current form, the penalty would only be 25 percent, right versus uh, versus 50. So yeah, that could be a huge savings. but you know, to my point, we want to make sure that you never run into this excise tax sure. to begin with.
3: Well, let me ask you something because I'm unfamiliar with this and I know you have the answer. Mm-hmm. are you? given an amount that you must take does the government inform you saying you must take this is your required minimum distribution and this is what you're going to have to take or you're going to pay a penalty
2: yeah typically it's not the government that's going to do that it's generally going to be your advisor and or the custodian that you hold your funds at what they do is they look at what your account value is on december 31st end of the year and then based on your age there's gonna be a, a percentage or a factor, a nominator that you're gonna to have to take. And you know first year's RMD for most people is typically around 3.65% and yeah. then it goes up from there. So as your assets are going up in value, as your age is going up, generally that means the amount that you are gonna take each year has to go up. And that's why a lot of families as it's going up can find themselves in higher tax brackets.
3: Well, uh, yeah, you put a little fear into me there about if I don't take the amount I should, but then I'm wondering, how do I know? And I find out by asking you. That's how.
2: The, the advisor or the custodian generally will submit an, an end of year document that lets you know how much you should take. And if, if you want to withhold for tax, you can. A lot of times you don't even have to sell the securities. You could just move certain stocks or mutual funds out of your IRA into a brokerage. I mean, so it's very flexible, but the government wants to see that money was taken out. The proper amount was taken out each year or that following year is where you're getting that letter in the mail saying, you may owe that big excise tax. Yeah,
3: I don't want that letter ever, so.
2: Um,
3: (laughs) Chris, Secure 2.0 also addresses RMDs and qualified charitable contributions. So what are the
2: adjustments there that are proposed? We call them qualified charitable distributions, and and these are, let's just call them QCDs for today. But for families right now, that are forced to take a required distribution, let's say you're over 70 and a half or over 72, government wants you to take money out of your IRA or it's gonna make you. We believe that for families that have charitable intent or if you give to causes you believe in, the first dollars you should really consider giving are out of your IRA or 401k, whatever you're subject to RMD on because what a lot of families do is they just take their RMD, they withhold for tax, And then throughout the year, they will give to their church or to a 501c3 that they believe in. And unless you itemize, which the majority of Americans today, less than 90% itemize, right? So think about it. A lot of families are giving charitably and they're not even getting tax deductions. But my point is, when you do a QCD or a Qualified Charitable Distribution, what that means is you're actually giving away a portion of what you're gonna to have to take out, which would normally show up on your tax return as income. So giving you an example, if you had a $10,000 required minimum distribution this year and you took it personally, all 10,000, that'll be reported as income. However, if you're a family that gives $5,000 away charitably, you could take 5,000 personally as an RMD and have your custodian or custodians that hold your assets you could have them direct those dollars to one or multiple charities of your choice. And by doing that, you've completely got that $5,000 out of your 1040 bottom line income. It's outside your Schedule A. So the most tax efficient dollars that families that have RMDs should be giving are from your IRA to help satisfy that annual RMD. Now, right now under today's law, Cheryl, the IRA says you can give up to $100,000 per person each year, which I know is a pretty sizable amount. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't give that. Under the Secure Act 2.0, they would increase that amount well above the $100,000. So again, it's going to be a small change there for maybe a few people. But I'm so glad we're talking about this today because a lot of you are charitably inclined. You just want to be as efficient as you can with that gift.
3: Sure. And again, the reason we're talking about this is because there seems to be a real effort to get this passed in some form before the end of the year mm-hmm. and the House and Senate have different ideas and a lot of them are the same, some are different, but they're going to reconcile them and hopefully get this passed before the end of 2022, which means we would start to see some changes as soon as next year. And that means that you have a lot of work to do, I imagine Chris there in the office <laughs> getting people up to date with these things.
2: We will. I mean, we help our families take their RMD each year, typically end of the year, not always end of the year, but a lot of times, you know, that's when we got a good sense of what your income's gonna be on the year and we can help estimate the tax withholding, but also qualified charitable distributions. We help many families, uh, dozens of families administer those throughout the year with their custodians. So yeah, again, everybody's different. But as these laws continue to change, I'm really glad to see that the qualified charitable distribution is not gonna be affected in any negative way.
3: So what do you see coming out of Secure 2.0 if it passes as it is right now as being the biggest difference?
2: Well, I think that would have to be what I mentioned briefly in our second segment today. And that is if they potentially eliminate Roth IRA for high earners. High earners in this country Those of you that have done the best job of saving, you have the largest IRAs and 401ks, you're the ones that need to do the most conversion to get control of your taxes in many cases. And so the idea that they could potentially eliminate conversions altogether over a 10 year period, if that passes in its current form, it's gonna create a substantial workload for tax planners fiduciary advisors like our firm because we've designed Roth conversion plans for so many and these are going to have to be completely retooled, Mm -hmm. recalibrated to work within the new law. It's mind-blowing to me that they would consider getting rid of Roth conversion because this is a situation where when you convert, they get their tax dollars today. They don't have to wait over your lifetime through RMDs. I think one of the potential reasons they may look to do this is, you know right now in our country tax rates haven't been this low in 40 years right and so I could see them potentially saying hey we don't want people being able to continue to convert at these historic low tax rates because taxes are on sale right now the the cost of admission the price of admission to get into the Roth game hasn't been lower than it is right now in 40 years and so by eliminating it that means if tax rates go up and over the next couple decades people are going to have to be, Pushed or kind of crunched to try to get this conversion work done before that law goes to effect.
3: Well, Chris covers taxes and ways to structure your wealth so that you get to keep more in retirement. It's all in his latest wealth report, Tax Strategies for Retirement. And we will deliver that to you straight to your inbox if you email us right now. The address is chris at wealthradio.com. Now be sure to put taxes on the subject line so we'll know what you want. That's chris at wealthradio.com. We have much more coming up after the break, so stay with us as Wealth Radio with your host, Chris Herlon. Continues right here on News Radio KLBJ.
0: 512-249-7300 is the number to reach Chris and the Wealth Radio team. That's 512-249-7300. Set up a time for your complimentary retirement and tax analysis. 512-249-7300. Or take advantage of our free retirement resources at WealthRadio.com. That's WealthRadio.com. We want to be your retirement resource. Check out Chris's latest books and online courses at wealthradio.com. That's wealthradio.com.
2: Welcome back. Chris Herline here. This is Wealth Radio. And i uh, got Cheryl White alongside me here today already in our last segment here. And today we've spent a lot of time talking around the Secure Act 2.0 and, you know, kind of we're summing up today around how Roth could be impacted by this. But Cheryl, I want to continue with that theme here.
3: Chris, yes. In our final segment, I do want to talk more about Roth contributions. What would change here under Secure 2.0?
2: Well, you know, think about your retirement plans out there. You've got simple IRAs and SEP IRAs for a lot of self-employed individuals for those that are employed you got 401ks and 403bs and and 457s and so one of the things that that i enjoy educating people on our listeners on this program is that a lot of your company sponsored plans those 401ks and 403bs they may offer roth contributions and which means you can put some or all of your contribution into a roth portion of the 401k or the 403b As a lot of people, you know, when they started funding these things back maybe in the 80s and 90s, starting your career the roth 401k or 403b wasn't around and a lot of the work that we do with families is helping them have tax control in retirement and because of that we need options and so that's where the roth 401k and roth 403b can really play a big role in tax control and so currently simple and set by arrays they're not allowed to accept roth contributions it's just it's all pre-tax but the secure act 2.0 it could change that it could allow for that i want to be clear right now if you have a sep ira a lot of you can convert your sep ira into a roth it could be all of it it could be a portion of it i want to be clear there's still ways to get in the roth game if you've got those type of accounts Obviously, consult with the CPA because there's tax implications, but this would just make it easier for new contributions. And then also the proposed legislation, sure, would require that catch-up contributions to 401Ks and your other qualified plans be subject to Roth treatment. So right now, families can put up to $7,000 in a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA as long as your income is low enough whereas you know your 401ks my gosh you can put well over twenty five thousand dollars for those of you in your 50s through catch-up contributions so i like to say you know people can put money in in a little bit of everything they could do some in the roth 401k some in the roth ira you put some in the regular 401k some in the regular 403b because when you put money in some of these accounts you get a tax deduction today In Mm -hmm. others, you don't. But in some of these accounts, you get forever tax-free growth, whereas your 401Ks and 403Bs, those are always going to be taxable, and they're growing through the years. So you're setting yourself inadvertently up to be taxed on the larger number, I should say, in many cases. So true tax diversification means saving amongst many different accounts, and that will give you that control we talk about.
3: And you talk about that all the time, diversification and how important it is. So as you look at all of these proposed changes in Secure 2.0 or whatever it ends up being called, you're looking at some changes to retirement plans regardless.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt. And they're trying to encourage savers out there that are needing to catch up. They're trying to make it if you can say, easier to save. There's pros and cons that came out of the Secure Act 1.0 and potentially is going to come out of the Secure Act 2.0. The positives for me are seeing the required minimum distribution ages go up. It's uh, contribution limits to retirement plans potentially going up. That means you can save more. You got the idea that you can maybe give charitably in higher amounts through qualified charitable distributions. Those are the big pros pros I see. The natives are heavier taxes when you inherit the IRAs from mom and dad because now you have to take the IRAs over ten years. You no longer stretch it in most situations. I, I mentioned earlier there there are a few situations where you don't have to take it over ten, but the majority of Americans you will have to take it over ten years, which means likely higher taxation because you're not able to stretch those dollars out. So that was one that's already gone into effect that's drastically changing the legacy and estate planning we do for families that reap financial. Another negative would be the elimination of the backdoor Roth conversion. That's one we're keeping a very close eye on and then potential elimination altogether of Roth conversion for high earners, not for everybody, but for high earners over a 10-year period. As these things come to fruition, they'll likely change a bit. But what I can assure our listeners is that we will be coming to you as soon as things are passed with the latest up-to-date information so that you can implement and adjust accordingly.
3: And you know, Chris, as I hear you talk and explain all of this, it just makes me so glad that there are financial professionals who keep up with all of the changes and can help us through this. Because without you, it would sort of be like trying to swim upstream. There's, It's very difficult and complicated.
2: It can be pretty costly, too. <laughs> if yeah, you're not it sure careful. can.
3: So tell me how you do that. I know you studied, you've passed your exams, so to speak, but <laughs> but you really do. You and and your team at Reek Financial, you stay on top of all of this. It's a continuing mm. education process, I'm sure.
2: Well, of course, and and that's the beauty of this industry is it's it's ever changing and we have the the benefit and unique privilege of working with successful families, retirees and business owners. And and it's not just that we are all things for all people. We align ourselves with vetted professionals when it comes to legal, when it comes to estate, to tax. We've got these resources available for families and we work alongside these professionals in designing our family's wealth and investment and legacy plans to ensure that every aspect of this planning is being optimized. It's so critically important that your professionals are working together in tandem and that's how our clients and that's how so many can have genuine confidence in their planning and knowing that things are being taken advantage of and really optimized to the nth degree.
3: Well, we appreciate you, Chris Herline. We'd like to hear what's on your mind. If you have a question for Chris, here's what you do. Go to WealthRadio.com and click the microphone button to send us your question. Again, that's WealthRadio.com. Just click on the microphone button and you can send your question. Chris will get it directly. want to thank you for joining us today for Wealth Radio with your host, Chris Herline. We're here every Saturday at our new time, 11 a.m., on Radio radio klbj Look
1: over what do you see
0: is the number to reach Chris and the Wealth Radio team. That's 512-249-7300. Set up a time for your complimentary retirement and tax analysis. 512-249-7300. Or take advantage of our free retirement resources at WealthRadio.com.
1: That's WealthRadio.com. If you're retired or retiring soon, tune into Wealth Radio every Saturday morning at eleven. Sponsored by Reef Financial Group, LLC. Investment advisory services provided by Reef Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm. Opinions expressed in this broadcast are provided for information purposes only and may change without prior notice. Information presented should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed and should not be construed in any way as an endorsement or inducement to invest or an offer to buy or sell any securities. The sales content should not be viewed as personalized investment advice. A professional advisor and tax professional should be consulted before making any investment decisions. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and therefore there can be no assurance that any specific investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. The tax and estate planning information offered on this program is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The firm only transacts in states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempt from registration requirements. Registration is not an endorsement of the firm by securities regulators and does not mean that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability.